The creative economy has completely decentralized the media landscape in the past few months and has evolved so, so much. Brands no longer depends on any exclusive placement. A biggest paradigm shift that was brought about by the creator economy was that change in the definition of a relationship between a brand and a consumer. The power relies today on creators' voice and channels. We will continue to see this evolving as the time goes on. When it comes to like working with creators over here in Asia, the one key thing is really to understand what does a creator or even a consumer use as a certain platform. There is this mystification that creators, they behave the same in every market. It's so important for brands and also agencies to really deep dive into markets to understand and how does creators behave and what type of social media exists in each market. Hi everyone, Mara Genovese here, founder and CMO of Imaging Power, and this is our Influencer Marketing Uncover podcast. In today's episode, we'll be traveling all the way to Malaysia to meet with an incredible guest who is known for nine years experience in the futurist market that has led him to become a thought leader when it comes to business growth, innovation, and insights into how to successfully tap into the Asian market. Today, I'm also here with Andrea Cortes, our Marketing Business Development Manager at Imaging Power. And together, me and Andrea, we are very happy and grateful to be joined by Siang. Siang is a former VIP Global Business of Glush Cloud International, one of the biggest market agencies in the Asian market. And today, He's an incredible thought leader going all around the world, sharing his knowledge about the industry. Andrea, so excited to have you here with me today, hosting this episode. So how are you and how do you feel about being part of our podcast as a co-host today? Hi, Maida. Hi, everyone. I'm super excited to be joining you as a podcast co-host. Uh, I've been waiting so long for this. Uh, so thank you for the invite too on joining you. So I'm very excited uh, to join you and our very special guest to discuss with us the ins and outs of the creator economy and what brands can learn from the Asian market to succeed. So Siang, welcome to MG Empower's Influencer Marketing Uncovered podcast. Thank you for accepting our invite. We are very happy to have you with us today. So how are you? And could you please tell our, our audience a little bit more about you and your professional experience? Sure. Um, first of all, um, thanks for having me um, dialing in all the way from Malaysia, my hometown. Um, so I guess with the pandemic and lockdown, I'm doing as well as I could. Um, you know, this is not this this glow. It's really from the light. Um, it's really just been staying home, um, spending time with family. Um, I think that's kind of like what I did. Um, you know, just kind of took a break from everything um, and staying here. But um, in terms of my professional experience, um, I was previously with um, a, a company called Gush Cloud International. So we're an influencer marketing, um, talent management and entertainment company. Um, and I, I spent a good part of my career with them for the last nine years. Um, 
I, I spread myself kind of across like Asia Pacific as well. Um, I started out in Malaysia, my hometown. Um, and then I built up the office. I kind of went over to Philippines and Vietnam as well to set up um, Gush Cloud over there. Um, and 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 I, I was um, I spent a good time in Singapore as well, just kind of looking over the Southeast Asian region. And I took the opportunity two years ago to go to LA, um, you know, just just enjoy that that you know um, West Coast sun. Um, and and now I'm back, uh, and 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 good to be here, and and hopefully starting my own podcast stardom, you know, with with you guys. <laughs> Amazing, Seung. So excited to hear about your story. And, and actually, we here at Imaging Power, we work with uh, Glitch Cloud two, three years ago. I don't know if you remember, but we did a few campaigns uh, together where, yes, yes, where you guys supported us uh, with our campaigns in, in Asia. So we had a great experience. And then, uh, yeah, so just great memories of working together and very much looking forward to discuss, you know, this topic with you today, which is all about the creative economy, which we are seeing this, everyone is talking about in Europe, in the US. And of course, today we wanted to hear your perspective about, you know, the creative economy in Asia and what is going on there, how people are, you know, interacting with this new way of working with, with talent. So as we know, the creative economy has completely decentralized the media landscape in the past few months and has evolved that so, so much that even now, you know, brands no longer depends on TV ads, on radio ads, or any exclusive placement or media outlet because you can use creators, right, to be driving, you know, your conversion, driving your awareness. So the power relies today on creators' voice and channels. And this will continue to be, we will continue to see this evolving as the time goes on, especially now so many social medias like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, even Twitter now are creating those tools where creators can really, really monetize from their own platform, creating their own shopping guides and so on. So question to you to start this conversation. What do you think, of course, about, you know, the key lessons that the creative economy is showing us and how this is evolving in Asia? Sure. Um, I guess like one key thing that really that was a, a biggest paradigm shift that was brought about by the creator economy was um, and I'm not just talking about Asia, but around the world is that 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 redefinition of like that that change in the definition of a relationship between a brand and a consumer, um, and and creator really changed that that concept of what a brand means, right? Um, because now they could self-publish content and foster communities, and so and that really changed how a brand should be interacting with the consumers. And we've seen that shift in brands whereby, you know, they're opting for a more authentic approach um, in their content, especially, um, you know, these days we've seen brands are posting memes. Um, they're resorting to, to you know, a, a lot more authentic, like kind of like interaction with, with their consumers. And I think these are all, uh, you know, coming, coming from like creators. Um, and I think that's kind of like the fundamental shift when it comes to, um, you know, the relationship uh, for, for brands um, to, to learn from the creators. Uh, but in Asia, I think like that's where like things kind of like 
gets a little bit complicated in a way. Uh, we all speak different languages. Um, and the interesting part in Asia is that I think creators, especially or consumers, use the social media very differently. Um, we kind of have like a unique place and a unique um, function uh, for each platform. So I think like um, when it comes to like working with creators over here in Asia, um, the one key thing is really to understand what does a creator or even a consumer use as a certain platform? Um, because like, uh, for example, just, just um, in, in Korea, uh, I, I used to work with a lot of Korean creators. And, and when it comes to Instagram stories, um, they're, they're kind of off limits for brands to work with. Um, they see Instagram story as like a very intimate lens to their daily lives. So they don't expect any sort of like promotional activity or commercial activity happening in there. Um, so which is very different uh, when I was working in the US. Um, so, so parts like that, um, you know, it's something to take into account when it comes to working with creators, especially in Asia. Um, and, and sometimes like we think that working with creators, everything's off limits. You know, every part of their lives is, it's kind of like part of that, that content creation process. Um, but sometimes it's not. Um, certain aspects of um, creators' lives are kind of like off limits or culturally kind of insensitive discussed uh, on these platforms. So I would say um, when it comes to Asia, something is a little bit different is that, you know, kind of like being sensitive um, to how creator uses a certain platform um, and also ultimately kind of understanding that dynamic between the creator and their followers. Very, very interesting. And I love the fact that you said it's that uh, we, that the difference between creators from Asia and creators from US, as you mentioned, or even Europe, because there is this mystification that creators, they behave the same in every market, which is, which is not through, even from South America, like when you go to Brazil or to, you know, Colombia, Argentina, Mexico, it's so different. And I think it's so important for brands and also agencies to really deep dive into markets to understand how does creators behave and what type of social media exists in each market and why, exactly you said, why consumers use certain platform and then develop, you know, your creativity, your strategy around that. But market research is the key, and especially with the creator's economy, because as you said, it's a new thing but in Asia, in Europe, in the US, but this creator economy, again, is, gonna, is, is, is behaving differently in each market. Because in Asia, for example, there are so many social platforms that doesn't even exist in, in, in Europe and US, right? So how to type into the creator economy, but understand what are each markets are evolving into into that movement right so the rise of social commerce is very embedded with the creator economy right and asia has transformed consumer purchase behavior in the past years right so brands market strategies and especially the live streaming Asia is, is really ahead the game. So tell us a little bit more about the link of social commerce and live streaming and then now with the creator economy. Sure. Um, you can't really talk about social commerce without talking about live streaming. So if I kind of dive 
too right into live streaming, so please, please forgive me. Um, but maybe just a little background. Um, social commerce started out in Asia as very conversational, um, especially when e-commerce capabilities were still in its infancy. Um, you would see a lot of product content on social feeds. We kind of like a special call out to say, hey, message me if you would like this product. And then the transaction kind of happens off the platform, you know, like they would pay each other using like, you know, bank transfer. Um, so that, that was kind of like the, 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 the dawning ages of like social commerce, right? Very conversational. You see something you like, you talk to, you know, the brand or the creator, and then you, you kind of like discuss like the transaction, right? But I think when live stream came about, it really changed the, the entire concept of social commerce. Um, with live stream capability, I think like, especially in, I, I would say like the creative economy here in Asia kind of escalated that adoption. Um, a lot of um, uh, live costers kind of like came out of Asia. And I think with that, um, you know, it, it brought about uh, a different kind of like, it turned live stream shopping into like a big piece of what social commerce is today. So, and and uh, where do I begin uh, with live stream shopping? So many. Um, well, I, I would say like, if I were to touch on live stream shopping and I get very passionate about this, so please forgive me. Um, I think that the key thing about live stream commerce is really, it changed the, the way we look at engagement. Engagement kind of took on a different meaning because like right now, to, to really succeed in live stream commerce, there's so many steps that one needs to like be able to do, right? And when I say one, it could be the brand, it could be the creator. I think first off, um, developing a live audience that really takes a certain kind of like strategy to build up. I think that's, that's really only the first huddle that you need to get through. And then the second part is really, how do you build trust during that, that 30 minute on an hour session um, and for them to keep coming back for multiple live stream session, I think that's kind of like a second huddle as well. And the third huddle is 30 minutes nonstop uh, on an hour. How do you sustain interest for someone to log in and to command them to give you the time right here, right now for 30 minutes? And then lastly, for, for that sale to happen, how do you create a deal that is so instantaneously worthy that I want to buy it now. Um, and I think that's kind of like the four key elements of what make live stream shopping such a beast um, in its own that whenever I talk about social commerce, I immediately just kind of like jump into the deep ocean of like live stream commerce. And, and I love the fact that you said that one of, I'm passionate about live streaming as well, just to, 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 to make that clear to you. So I can go very, very in depth into that. Uh, uh, into that subject. Very interesting. Like, how do you, because you said that one of the biggest challenges is like how to build that live audience and how to sustain the engagement. What is your advice? How to build a live audience? Because this is a very, very good question because we have been doing live streaming shopping and then one of the things that we are navigating on trying to better understand is how to build that audience life. Um, I, I don't think there's like a, like an ultimate answer, a one size fit all, but I have to say 
a lot of them took a lot of the creators that were really successful when it comes to live stream commerce took a page out of the old-fashioned televised home shopping. Uh, I don't know if you remember, like, you know, watching those infomercial and, you know, there's all these little wacky experiments. I think a lot of the element, uh, a lot of the creators in Asia took and kind of transformed it into their content. Um, and then, and I think on top of that, really leveraging on what fundamentally a between a creator and a follower is, is that deep trust of that relationship um, and kind of transcending beyond just a photo, right? Um, and if, you, if we were to watch a lot of the live stream in Asia, um, if you could understand the language, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of like um, trust building. Um, sometimes I feel like I'm really a friend, um, you know, with the live stream shopper, even though I know I'm not. <laughs> so I, and I think that's kind of like the magic um, that really comes when it comes to building a live audience. It's really, it's really beyond the product or the brand. Um, go back to the fundamental relationship between your live audience. And then from there, um, you know, incorporate like, you know, and, and, the, and the deal or the product and the sale that you're trying to do, it needs to be in, in, in the interest of the consumer. And I think that that's, that's ultimately what, what builds trust. And I think that, that with that trust comes uh, the live audience. Yeah, and I think it's something very interesting that you said about trust and coming into like the next, um, not the next question, but the next topic to, to discuss is about how KOLs, as you call them in Asia, and influencers are coming into the mix. Because we believe at MJ Power that with live stream, it goes beyond that customer brand relationship. There needs to be that third party that comes in with the trust of the audience and that brings that human touch to the experience. Because apart from what you were mentioning about infomercials, it was very commercially driven. Every time you saw one of those, you knew that they were trying to sell to you. But now what we're seeing with live stream and social commerce is that brands and creators are coming together to create an experience for the audience that goes beyond commercial. They're creating an atmosphere for the audience to have an experience that it's exclusive. It's exclusive for that real-time moment. It's not an infomercial that you're going to see in the loop every morning. No, it's something special. And that special factor comes from those creators that are, are also like co-creating that experience with you. Because they're the, no like what you said, they are the ones that know how that specific channel works and what they want to share with the audience in that specific channel. So... To move into that, like how have how have creators or KOLs in Asia like uh, nurtured this live stream strategy for brands? Sure. Um. And and Andrew, just to add on to that, you know, just to make it a little bit um concrete, I would say the special sauce. It, it could be very different for for different live stream creators, but I think entertaining or entertainment. Um, if you were to watch, uh, you know, we all have watched like multiple live stream sessions, right? And I think ultimately, if, even if you're not buying into that deal, you, you walk off entertained for like a good 30 minutes or an hour, right? And, 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 
And that entertainment factor, it's, it doesn't really follow like a formulaic, like it doesn't follow a formula. Sometimes it could be the tonality. Sometimes it could be the sporadic randomness that comes into the session. You know, sometimes they'll just stop the session and say, hey, I really need to do this now. This just comes in. I'm going to unbox this raw, you know, unfiltered in front of you. And, and that's entertaining. That's really exciting for me. Um, just just kind of like the segue into that. And I think, and, and to go into how to make like a successful like live stream strategy is really figuring out what's entertaining to your, to your consumers. Um, and I think that's, that's really the key um, because like with that entertainment factor, you're getting them in into your first session, right? Um, and I think that that's really key. And then with that, that's where the trust, trust factor comes in. Um, and, and I think I've never seen a successful live stream session that doesn't position the deal as something beneficial to the consumer. And every single deal that really works at a live stream session, it's, it's a massive discount. I would never have gotten that elsewhere, you know? I, and even if I need one of a kind, I would buy two just to get that discount, um, you know, and give it to a friend, you know? And I think really structuring that is not just about slashing prices. Um, it's really understanding what makes sense to your consumer and factoring it into that deal. And sometimes, you know, create that sense of exclusivity you know, if you're going to sell it at a certain price and, and just for today, stick to it, you know, and, and even if, you know, you still have stocks at the back of your room or at the back of your warehouse, don't sell it the next day because you're going to break the trust. And I think that's where, it, that, that's where a lot of the component and element that needs to go into factoring what makes like a really successful live stream strategy, um, especially when it comes to live stream shopping. I love the fact like the, the, the offer, it is a very important element, right? Because it is, uh, when we're discussing with, with our clients about live shop streaming and love that we, you mentioned that, that the offer, the price has to be exclusive for that moment, right? For that 30 minute, one hour moment, because there is no point of creating an offer for the live streaming. And then on the next day, everyone has access to that same offer and for those that were there engaging with the live purchasing real time to see on the next day oh great so now everyone has access to the same offer that i had what is the the, the main point here so i think it's very important that entertainment as you said is a key factor but how to add the element of the offer exclusive offer into the mix and create something that is so not just aspirational but something that you're gonna think wow i need to get this because it's so unique it's so exclusive for this moment and and why not and to break that trust on the next day and offering the same offer the same product is just and it's just saying to a brand, okay, don't even try to do a live streaming shopping again because you just break the trust here, right? So I think the live, like live shop streaming, the way I see is all about really creating that unique experience, which is unique to that moment, right? It's like I'm creating this special 31 hour, you know, live for you audience to be part of something that is being created for you. 
So I think that is a, a great point that you, you made it here because we, when discussing strategies, as I mentioned with clients, that's the question that comes very often. Like, can we offer the same offer in the next day to carry on on stock? No, you can't. And I think it's quite important also, like, to use the power and the knowledge, the insight that KOLs or influencers have for this. Like, within, our, within the strategies that we create in Gym Power, we truly believe that those insights are so valuable that perhaps, as, a, as, as an idea just popping out here, <laughs> Uh, for example, what what about doing a pre a, a pre campaign before going to the live and allowing the creators even to ask their audience what what type of uh, a special benefit would they like to have within the, these lives? Because coming from the audience, then the engagement and the excitement to go into the live will be even higher. And what you said about the most important thing about live stream is that it has transformed the way we understand engagement and how we go into the live stream, knowing how to approach that engagement and how to raise it. I think it's quite important. And we have that power when we collaborate with creators, when we collaborate together to understand what the audience is looking forward to, to see in these lives, to get from these lives, then the connection it becomes so clear and so direct that it's what we look forward in marketing, that it seems a seamless experience. Like it's so obvious they would going to be do that, but it's so brilliant, right? But it's about understanding how to work with creators and how to benefit both parties to, at the end of the day, create a customer journey that it's relevant. And just to add on, I think like the one key thing to learn from creators is like just to have fun with it. Sometimes There are live stream sessions that I've, that is just completely unstructured. It came out of nowhere, but that's probably like one of the best sessions compared to the one that's kind of like structured and scheduled. Um, you know, there, there's sometimes like the, the, the creators I follow would just drop in and be like, Hey, I decided to just do a live stream right now because I love you guys and, and let's do something fun with it. I think that's where, Sometimes taking a page out of the creator's book, um, it's, it, it really changes things, you know, and, and it makes it like even more magical or wonderful. Absolutely. And it, the, going back to what Andrea said, the co-creation with between brands and creators, I think is a key factor of success for any, you know, brand and creators collaboration. Because once you do it together as a form of co-creation, is when you see magic because the creators, they really know their audience, right? And the brands, they know their product and they know what they wanted to achieve in terms of conversions, in terms of awareness. But in order for the brands to succeed, they really need to get the creators' audience and engage with the audience. And who better knows the audience than the, the actually the creators? So I think more and more... And I, I totally agree with you. Get the influencer briefing, remove a few pages and let the creators, you know, to go with it with their own creativity because they really know how to approach and how to engage in a tone of voice 
because sometimes everything is so structured, right? So when you do a live streaming shopping, you go and then you create the timetable and the times that what time each influencer will creator will be saying this or that. And it's the same for an influencer briefing when you're doing a campaign. The influencer briefing has like 15 pages where what they have to do, how they have to shoot their content, the, the do's and don'ts. And it's suffocating for the creators because let them to just send a simple briefing and let them to add that value into what you're trying to create because then is when we see the magic uh, really, really, really happen. So I, I, I'm a big, you know, uh, fan of getting creators to co-create it with brands, co-create strategy, co-create live shop streaming, co-create anything because it's so important to get their insights because uh, the, at the end of the day, they, they know, right? You read my mind. You just read it entirely. Just leave like a little section that's blank and ask the creator, what would you like to do? You know, I get it. Do's and don'ts. Those are really important for the yeah. brand. You don't leave a little room for like spontaneity, you know, like something that's surprising. No, absolutely. There's one creator that I'm a, a big fan uh, from Brazil. And uh, the way she's co-creating with her clients is like, as soon as she gets the briefing, she goes through her Instagram stories and say, I received a new briefing from one of my clients. They wanted to promote this product, which I love. I've been using for months, but I wanted to hear from you how you would like to see that post coming when I have to, 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 to recommend this product. How would you? What? How do you see it to engage more with you? So she shared the briefing with the audience first, and getting all the insights from the audience, and then after weeks she goes there and create the content, the page content, but based on the sites of her audience. She's exploding in Brazil right now because it's so unique, and she's very open heart. She goes like, "Oh, this week," and then she tells how many she has. So this week I have five briefings. One for a chocolate brand, one for you know a TV brand. So and then she shares the briefing, get the insights and create the content. And I think that is so authentic, you know, and that's so engaging because then the audience is looking forward to see, okay, what is do you think she's she, she gathered our insights and she's gonna put something that we actually said to her to do? And she does. And the engagement goes like beyond. Yeah, send me the handle. I'm, I'm going to follow her. She just gained a new follower. I will. <laughs> I will send you. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and Siang, and like, how does influencer marketing, like how is this evolving in, in, in Asia right now? So what are the trends? What brands are, are doing apart from the live streaming? And then of course, the, 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 the social commerce. Tell us a little bit, our audience here, you know, what's happening there right now. Wow, where do I start? Uh, let's see. Um, well, well, since we're still talking about live stream shopping, maybe let me just touch base a little bit of like what the platforms are doing right now. Um, especially um, in China, there's so many different platforms right now um, that, that it's really merging content discovery and shopping together. Um, it, it will be almost impossible for you to find a platform that doesn't have a shopping um, uh, capability attached to it. Um, so Douyin, which is, um, you know, TikTok's Chinese equivalent, has its own store right now. 
So as you're browsing through like um, different TikTok videos or Douyin videos, you can actually go on to Douyin store and buy the product and they have their own native like payment solutions. So you can have a little Douyin wallet um, that, that kind of like comes into that ecosystem. And the, the, the platforms are pretty uh, competitive as well. So Douyin would have their own kind of like e-commerce store as well as payment solution. Um, so would Kuaishou, um, which is very similar to Douyin. Um, and almost every single platform right now would have their own e-commerce store, their own payment solution. And for, for the traditional like Alibaba, like Taobao, Tmall, those kind of e-commerce stores as well, they have also kind of like developed their own content discovery platforms too. So it's, it's, it's almost impossible to find a platform that doesn't have a content element and an e-commerce shopping element to it. So I think that's kind of like a big part when it comes to um, China. Uh, platforms in China. That's insane. And that's what is creating the path for platforms in, Euro in Western Europe, in Europe, in Latin America, because you guys are so upfront in the future about how social media and consumer behavior, more than social media, how consumer behavior for newer generation, for new generations is transforming. Because as we were reading, we, we were always looking to research, being on top of trends here at MG Empower. And we were reading about Gen C and how Gen C, for example, is going into dark social more than normal social. So we're like, what's dark social? And dark social is all about messaging apps, WhatsApp, Telegram, and WeChat in Asia. And how are gonna those platforms evolve to allow brands to track analytics on those channels because right now they don't. And seeing how you were talking about, sorry for my pronunciation, my Asian pronunciation, uh, Daojing and Kushao, if I'm right, how they're evolving into not only being discovery, but also social social commerce apps. It's just, it's just insane. And it's just about asking ourselves, like, what's the next step then on these dark social platforms? How are they going to lead the path to now be able to shop and entertain that it's something very important for Gen Z? They're not looking just for shopping and discovering. They're looking for entertainment. These platforms for them, are all about entertainment. Like for millennials, it was all about discovering content and making their lives easy, making our lives easier. But these people, it's all about entertainment. They're not looking for anything else. And if they, through entertainment, then go into, into commerce, that's great. But that's not their main focus, right? So how are these platforms going to evolve into that point? That for us, I think it's mesmerizing and we, we always keep like searching about it. What's the next step? What's the next step? So yeah, thank you for that, for the insights that you're giving us already. I'm going to add a comment that say like my wallet's hurting. Like, you know, because <laughs> if you, if you want to browse and then you, you're tempted to buy. So I think it's also a balancing act as well. I think for, for some of these platforms, whereby, you know, sometimes I, I'm really just there for content and not be tempted to, you know, spend more money. And even though, you know, you ended up doing so. Um, but at the same time, um, Andrea, thanks for bringing up Dark Social. I think that's kind of like a, a big part of um, also 
what's kind of like still undercurrent, but I think it's also equally important um, in some of the developments of the social platforms. Right, but how do you balance like content discovery being entertained, but at the same time also kind of like going back to like how social platforms started, which is like creating that connection with one another, you know, like, you know, connection with fans, great with a million fans, but at the same time, sometimes I want to hit up, you know, Myra for like a one-to-one -one call, you know, and, and just really talk, uh, have it heart to heart. Uh, how do you, how do social platforms still kind of maintain that element? I think that's a tough balancing act to, to answer in the next couple of years. And do you, do you think, do you have an answer for yourself? Like, how do because I, I am with you, like, what is the balance that we will see, right? Because we need that human connection, but more and more, like, uh, despite the fact that we love social platforms, right? We do that for living. We create strategies, we create beautiful campaigns, engaging campaigns, live streaming, entertaining. We love that. But we see that the evolution of so many social platforms out there, because there are so many, right? Like, even when you think about Snapchat, you know, like what Snapchat is doing right now is, is incredible, right? So, like, here in Europe, we see, like, how Snapchat is growing in terms of engagement, especially with the Gen Zers, which we thought that were never going to be possible because the TikTok was the platform to go for the Gen Zers. But now we're seeing a lot of Gen Zers going to Snap as well because they're creating so many forms of entertainment there, but as well as the social comments, as well as the chat, as well as the filters. And the, and, the, and then it's like it's becoming a platform that you can see the news. You don't even need to go to any, you know, BBC news to get the news. You see all the news on Snap. So it is, a, it, is, it is kind of, you know, like, wow. So where is this going to lead us to the human connection, right? Because sometimes you feel like, why am I going to call Siang? I can just snap him here or send him, you know, a wee chat and then I can get the answer. But I think it's important that the human connection is to exist because what's going to happen if we don't have, especially with the pandemic, I don't know how is this for you, but stay at home for over a year and not having that human connection and just all about social, you make you realize like, wow, I really like to go outside. I really like to see people, but it, it, it's just, I think the pandemic kind of, you know, escalate the use of social in a way. Do you think the same? Um, I would say like, I don't have an answer because like, you know, I wish I, I have, but a, a vague kind of, I've been pondering about this uh, for quite a bit. Um, while it's great that, you know, commerce and content discovery are kind of like coming together. Um, I think like ultimately we will come to a point whereby we need to think about how do you consciously consume? Um, conscious consumption will probably be kind of like the next thing to look about um, when, when you're faced with so many options, right? Um, I can go to Douyin, I can go to TikTok for like entertainment, like five seconds, 30 seconds, and now like a minute or even five minutes video. But would I ever go onto TikTok for something longer than 10 minutes, right? And that's when like YouTube steps in, right? And I think like ultimately a lot of us need to make very conscious decision about how we consume. Um, and, and, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is um, Twitter just launched uh, Spaces, which is kind of like a 
Clubhouse uh, rivalry, and and I thought it was brilliant for Twitter to do that, not because of like you know like the whole copying Clubhouse thing, but I think when it comes to the the DNA of Twitter, when it comes to it, it's all about fa- facilitating like conversation. I thought it was brilliant for Spaces to kind of ride on Twitter, and when I used it. It was so intuitive because I struggled with Clubhouse uh, myself, right? It, it's great. It's a great platform, but I struggle to constantly be on Clubhouse myself when it uh, when it started. Um, but then when it when Twitter rolled out Spaces, it was a lot more intuitive for me, and I thought like it made more sense for me to like use Spaces. And no shade to Clubhouse, you know, I'm I'm still a fan, but. I would say like Twitter and Spaces make a lot more sense to me. Interesting, and it's just interesting to see what's happening with Clubhouse now, right? Yes. Uh, it is a uh, it is being a big momentum for them, but I'm not sure if they're gonna be able to sustain uh, that momentum, especially now like platforms like Twitter creating the same you know a, 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 a tool that clubhouse has created it is kind of you know the same uh, in a way so let's see what is the audience because i think the the format of audio we still going to be something that is going to continue to be something that the platform will continue to invest right because they saw through clubhouse that there is an appetite for audio content and i think it's just like how this audio content will evolve Uh, in the next few months across all the social platform will be very interesting. I, I totally agree. Yeah. But, but yeah, that, that's kind of like another kind of like topic that I, I would love to talk about. Another day, another day. Yes, for sure. So we could stay here forever talking because we love to talk about everything about influencer marketing, you know, social commerce. And then you have added so much value on the live streaming content here that I'm pretty sure our audience will be so delighted to hear everything you mentioned about live streaming and all the tips that we have gave to us here. Andrea, do we have any other final questions to Siang before we wrap up? Yes, I think it would be really, really nice to wrap up, uh, touching back on that human aspect that you both mentioned and how brands need to be aware of consum- like ethical consumption um, and building, like not allowing the consumer in a good sense to lose that human connection. And then what I would like to ask you, Siang, is how in Asia, how are you guys uh, creating that omni-channel strategy where you combine the best about digital, live stream, social commerce that the pandemic has like brought to us and how we've learned how the consumer likes to have that digital capability and facility, but also how are we bringing them back to stores? physical stories and how are we combining both the best of both worlds in an omnichannel strategy in an ethical way because again as we go back to stores we're able to regain that proximity of our human relationships because it's all about oh i'm going shopping with my friends or i'm going shopping like it's it's a moment to share so how in asia are you guys building up that because we've read that As, 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 as uh, restrictions were easing in Asia, stores sales were booming. That, that first week, the numbers were up incredible. So how are you guys combining those two 
two two worlds. Oh sure. Um, I think just to kind of like ride off of what you just shared, I think you can never replace the magic of a physical experience. Um, and and also the the unlimited like the limitless possibility of what a physical experience could bring. And I think like traditionally we've always looked at digital experience and physical experience as two separate things. Um, I think like that that line that divides will, will soon becomes a little bit more complementary. Um, I wouldn't say we've we've cracked it over here because right now it still feels like oh digital commerce is a touch point, and then you could go into the physical store to experience the the sample, the good, and to pick it up. Um, it still feel not as seamless as it should be, but I think like in the next couple of years we're gonna and and. And I guess that's the silver lining of the pandemic, whereby you know it really pushes a lot of us into embracing that digital commerce experience. You know, I I don't buy grocery anymore. I I wanted to share with you guys. I buy my frozen seafood from live stream sellers over here in Malaysia. <laughs> I love that. I don't do. I don't go to the grocery at all. By the way, I don't buy from live streaming, but I buy from apps. So I don't, I don't think I've been in a grocery in the past three years. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and, and the, the, the thing that gets delivered to my house is as fresh as like what I would normally would have, you know, spent like an hour or two just to the supermarket and get it myself. So I think like kind of like pushing us to embrace that digital commerce, but not forgetting that when the pandemic and lockdowns over and when we kind of like learn how to coexist with, you know, the, the new variant and, and whatnot, um, how do we complement, how does the digital commerce experience complement the physical stores? Because we still need these physical spaces. Um, people always say that retails would die, but I, I disagree. Uh, I think retail still has a very special place in, in part of a brand strategy And and like I said, you can never experience parts of like, you know, you the digital experience. You you could replace it visually, you could replace part of like the auditory experience. But for you to be able to touch something and to really kind of like interact with one another uh, in a more meaningful way, I think that's where like physical uh, and retail um, still has a very special place uh, in the market. Um, and I think like rather than, you know, shifting everything in the digital, I think as, as agencies, as brands, as, as consumers, we got to think about how do we support retail when the economy reopens? Um, because we can't lose them. We, we need them. Totally, totally agree with you. And then it is exactly what you said, the way I see, uh, I don't think retails will die at all. Uh, because we need them, we need those experiences, but it's how we're going to be able to strategically and be very smart of how digital and physical space will complement each other and what are what are, will be the experience that you're going to provide from a brand and a digital aspect and what that experience will be when you go to a physical space because they have to be different experience, right? So I think it's just more how to elevate both in a way that both will be unique experience and drive the awareness, the conversion, and create the most unique and authentic experience. Because I think more than ever, we, again, as a consumer, as you said, as a brand, as an agency, we're looking for 
experience and we're looking for a memorable experience. Even if that experience comes to purchase a product, we need to feel that we have, you know, be able to experience something that is very authentic, very unique, and very thought through about us consumer. And then it's a one united journey. It's not two separate yeah. paths. Mm -hmm. so I think that's, that's where we need to think about. Exactly. Siang, what a pleasure. I think we definitely need to do a second, you know, a second podcast together with a different, <laughs> with a different topic. It's been incredible. So grateful to have had you here. We worked together before and now we are here on this podcast discussing so many incredible things about the future of influencer marketing, the presence, where this is going to let us as a consumers. So thank you so much for the time from me all the way from Malaysia to here with, with us in London. We are all in London. So I love the fact that our podcast is very internationally. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And let me know when's the next one. <laughs> yes, we will for sure. For everyone that has been listening to us today, thank you so much for being here with us on this almost one hour i think uh podcast hope we have engaged you to stay with us until the end because this conversation was so special so unique so thank you so much everyone that joined us on our influencer marketing uncover podcast for being here please follow us on our social medias imaging power sign up for our podcast on spotify apple and youtube and I look forward to see you guys again. And Siang and Andrea, once again, thank you so much. <laughs>